I, I don't know if you've watched the movie Batman, uh, but there is a, some point there where the Joker says, that's what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. So I, that's what I would think about now. The unstoppable force is the American jobs generation uh, machine, uh, which is, seems unstoppable uh, despite all the chatter about a recession and the Fed raising interest rates. The number of jobs in the US is continually to, continuing to grow rapidly. The immovable object is the labor supply. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers and Googleization show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, winner of the most forward-thinking impact award from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the voice of the most important, crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the convergence and impact of business technology and people. This episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization is sponsored by our partner Y Institute, your personal and professional GPS for a meaningful life and purpose-filled career. You'll hear more about the Y Institute and the Y operating system a little later in the show. So we are only on day 11 of 2023. And already, the only thing that seems predictable is that 2023 will be more never normal than ever. That's why we're so excited that today is the first of two back-to-back -back events that we'll be hosting to help you navigate the future of work, its labor markets, the job markets, and even the money markets. So joining us in just a few minutes will be Gad Levinen, Chief Economist at the Burning Glass Institute. You're going to want to grab a pen and pencil and turn off all the distractions because you're going to want to listen to what Gad has to say about the labor markets and hiring for 2023. Then tomorrow, January 12th, our friends from Odeon Capital Conversations, Dick Beauvais, Matt Van Alstein, and our co-host moderator, John Aiden Byrne, join us once again to talk about the economy, jobs, and money markets. The last time they visited us in November of 2022, just a few weeks ago, we had a record-breaking 25,000 downloads in 24 hours. So you're not going to want to miss this one. And to register, you can easily go to our website, geekskeezersgooglization.com, click on special events, and you'll get all the information there, how to join us tomorrow. But that's only the beginning. Next week, January on January 18th, we have Chip Conley, who joins us to tell us about how to turn your midlife crisis, and there's a lot of people in there, uh, into a calling. So Chip's the founder of Modern Elder Academy, and it should be quite a follow-up to our spectacular conversation with Stephen Kotler uh, right at the end of the new year over the holiday. And hopefully if you had a chance to listen, if not, it is available on our podcast. And we're still not done yet because the talent board just released their annual candy research study 
uh, and they are the foremost authority on candidate experience. So Kevin Grossman, president of the Talent Board, is going to join us uh, to reveal their most recent findings about the candidate experience and its impact on everyone's, every company's ability to attract and hire the best talent. So that's on January 26. So we got a pack, what we're calling a GGG Palooza of a month. Uh, so, but before we bring on our favorite chief economist, Gad Levinen, it's time for our perfect labor storm segment. So this is where on each week, we focus on just one disruptive, surprising or worrisome trend that we believe you should know. So here is today's perfect labor storm segment. And I pulled these stats from a report, what we'll be talking about shortly with Gad, how skills are disrupting work. Uh, it's an excellent read. I highly recommend everybody go up to uh, burningglassinstitute.org uh, and download it under the research uh, tab. Uh, it's a com it's a, uh, it was a collaborative effort from Burning Glass Institute, Business Higher Education Forum, Forum and Wiley. So here's some of the findings that they had. On average, 37% of the top 20 skills requested for U.S. jobs have changed since 2016. So let me say it another way. The average U.S. worker has had to replace or upgrade over one third of their skills simply to keep up with the demands of their occupation. Here's one example. In 2011, just 11 years ago, 12 years ago, there were just under 300,000 job posts seeking people with data analysis skills in only 17 occupations. So 300 jobs looking for people with data analysis skills. And that was in a limited number of jobs, uh, 17, uh, 17 different occupations. Just 10 years later, 2021, 1.2 million jobs, job posts, that's four times, were posted in 81 occupations. So not only were employees required to acquire new skills, but it was also happening across a much wider range of, of uh, industries as well. Uh, one out of eight job postings all require one of these four emerging skills. And we'll be talking about this with GAD. Product management, social media, cloud computing, AI, and machine learning. Uh, these extend across a lot of sectors as diverse as manufacturing and public administration. And in 2021, there were over 5 million job postings that mentioned one of these skills. In some industries, over one third of all the job postings included one or more of those skills. Holy cow, Ira. I mean, all of this makes me wonder, does the economy even recognize itself anymore when it looks in the mirror? I mean, so much is changing and has changed in just a short amount of time. And while, you know, today, for the most part, we're going to focus with GAD on the here and now of what we need to expect this year with the economy and the labor market, I'm also wondering about the future. Now, for example, the Institute for the Future has shared that around 85% of the jobs that we think are going to exist by 2030 they haven't even been invented yet. Um, and it's it's makes me also ponder that there's no wonder that Richard Foster from Yale University said 40% of the current Fortune 500 companies, they're not even going to be around by 2028. So just as the economy is evolving and changing before our very eyes, 
so too are our ways of measuring and understanding it, which is why we're so lucky um, to have Gad on the show today so he can help us make sense of all of this upside down, topsy-turvy stuff that's going on and make sure that we enter into this year understanding what's going on around us and prepare and take action and prepare for the future as well. And just a reminder, uh, if you uh, are a SHRM member and you're looking for credits, you can go, you can earn SHRM credits just merely by listening and watching to the show. You can get anywhere between a half and a full credit. Sim uh, to earn that credit, simply go, well, not to earn it, but to activate that credit, uh, simply go to geekskeezersandgoogleization.com. That's our new website, geekskeezersgoogleization.com. Uh, on the upper right corner, click on podcast. And then under the, that, there's a short form you need to fill out just to verify you listened. And we will send you an activity code. Uh, while you're there, if you're not a member of GoogleizationNation.com, please follow us and join us. Uh, we'll send you updates each week of uh, upcoming events and uh, highlights of the previous week. And then finally, uh, if you're listening on a podcast, uh, whatever your favorite podcast platform is, uh, please leave a review and rate us. Uh, we really appreciate that. And with that, it's perfect time to bring our guest on today, Gad Levin, and Chief Economist with the Burning Glass Institute. Let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to Gad. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was, uh, I felt like a, a football star for, uh, for a few seconds still. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a lot safer <laughs> in this environment though, right? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So, Gad, I think we, you and I met, um, I, well, I heard you speak somewhere in the last three years, probably about two, somewhere between the second and third year of the pandemic, or the first year of the pandemic. You were quite popular. Uh, you were, everybody was wondering what's happening, where are we going, uh, what's it going to look like, when are we going to come out of this pandemic? So, uh, conveniently, we're about three years out. Um, so, we're almost uh, at the beginning. And Yet there's uh, we're still living in this never normal, as we call it, getting a lot of mixed signals. Uh, so what we'd like to do is uh, get your take on where we are right now with the labor markets, because there's a lot of confusion out there. But also have you reflect a little bit on the last three years. Where have we been? What surprised you the most? Um, because you had a lot of experience. This is what you study day in and day out. Uh, what surprised you the most about, uh, you know, February 2023 from what you thought might happen in February of 2020? Yeah, well, no, there is a lot, uh, a lot to to reflect about. Um, I guess the the way I would uh, kind of frame the the current uh, situation in the labor market. I, I don't know if you've watched the movie Batman, uh, but there is a, some point there where the Joker says, "That's what happens when an unstoppable force." meets an immovable object. So I, that's what I would think about now. The unstoppable force is the American jobs generation uh, machine, uh, which is, seems unstoppable uh, despite all the chatter about the recession and the Fed raising interest rates. The number of jobs in the US is continually to, continuing to grow rapidly. The immovable object is the labor supply in the US, the number of available workers. So that also doesn't, that doesn't seem to be moving despite being in the most severe labor shortage in, in memory 
the labor force participation rate is not uh, moving up. Uh, for the first time in US history, the number of people in the working age population is, is declining. Uh, so we kind of need more and more people to work, but there is no increase in their availability. So, so that's a kind of leading to um, a super tight labor market still uh, through the end of 2022 or the beginning of 2023. Um, and you know what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object is what the Fed uh, decides would happen. And they uh, are afraid of inflation, rightly so. Uh, so they will, they can't do anything about the immovable object. So what they will try to do is stop the unstoppable force. And I think, unfortunately, uh, is that uh, in 2023 that means that we will enter a recession. So that's uh, kind of in a in a few sentences the the, the thirty thousand feet view. There is a lot to unpack there, Gad. Um, so I, and it's interesting because just last night I heard another economist, lots of different opinions, and he was pretty much saying that there are no signs of a recession, that it's it's almost the media and it's the hype and almost the belief that we should be entering a recession based on all the signs that are available and everything that we know about what happened in the past. But again, living in this never normal and unpredictable times, and as you gave a, again, a great example about, you know, when an, uh, an unstoppable object, it's an immovable force, you know, um, it seems almost that they're changing the definition of a recession, uh, you know, what that might be. Uh, but beyond the recession, I mean, and obviously that's going to, you know, impact that. And we'll, we'll come back to some of the your forecasts uh, down the road. You know, we, we talk about, you know, I've been talking about this perfect labor storm for for 20 plus years. And so a lot of these trends weren't surprising. It just seems that we hit this brick wall in with the pandemic and it just showed all our vulnerabilities uh, and, and, and different things that were going on. Uh, the labor participation ration, it, it rate is, is a key, uh, you know, no, no doubt about that. But there, there's still a lot of deniers. I mean, even though uh, the writing seems to be on the wall and it seems to be at least for the three of us and many other people, that it's a given that there is a labor shortage. We had a really interesting, I would say provocative conversation with another consultant the other day. And it was like, I'm gonna, and she said, basically, I'm gonna stop you there. That's BS. There is no labor shortage because we're going to have, we're gonna need fewer and fewer jobs going forward. Well, I've been hearing this claim since uh, the Great uh, Recession in uh, 2008, 2008-2009 um, and uh, that uh, robots will replace jobs and not everyone who wants to work will be able to find work. Uh, and, and, you know, I think in 2010 that was a serious discussion, uh, but now in uh, 2023 after a decade or let's say five, six years of very low unemployment rate and very low labor productivity growth. If, if there was a, a significant amount of automation, we would see output per 
hour of work, which is the definition of productivity, we would see this increase a lot. But in fact, the decade before the pandemic, we had the weakest uh, labor productivity growth. So I, I know there is a lot of chatter about um, a, a lot of jobs being uh, eliminated, but it, uh, at least since 2010, it's not really happening. Which brings up an interesting point, and and we reference this. I referenced this earlier. Um, Burning Glass Institute, in collaboration uh, with Business Hire Forum, Education Forum, and Wiley, produced a really excellent uh, report: uh, uh, skills that are disrupting work. And uh, again, I encourage everybody to go there. I'll put up the banner in just a second of, of where you can download it. Uh, but there's, I, I guess, we're we're creating jobs. The jobs that are creating it certainly require new skills, just as the, your report showed 37% of all uh, the average was 30%, almost one third of all jobs required uh, individuals to learn new skills. And that's only in the last five years. So give us a little bit of insight on that. I mean, where are we going? Because we're, we're creating the jobs. There's not enough people. There's just not enough bodies. <laughs> to fill those jobs. A lot of the bodies that can fill those jobs don't have a lot of the skills that we need. Um, with, again, just a, a lot, lot of uh, this never normal. Yeah, so there is, you know, there are a lot of new technologies and, and skills that are being uh, added to the economy. Uh, in many cases, it's not to replace workers, but to kind of augment what uh, workers are uh, are doing and make them uh, better at, uh, at uh, what they're doing. Uh, but it's true, we, we have like a, a kind of both a labor shortage and, a, and a somewhat of a skill shortage because of the rapid churn in, in skills uh, at the same time. By the way, a lot of the labor shortage that we do have are in jobs that actually are relatively low-skilled jobs, um, uh, jobs that typically do not require a BA, um, a lot in um, in-person services, uh, manual services, uh, some uh, blue color. Um, so that is uh, actually, as opposed to m most decades, uh, I would say in the last five, six years, the shortage is much more severe in those blue-collar and manual services jobs. So if that's the immovable object that a lot of organizations are up against, knowing that a lot of our listeners today are business leaders, many of whom probably are in charge of talent acquisition, um, what are their options to try and get around this immovable object? Because they can't go through it. What are their options to try and get around it and continue to increase productivity and drive value in the market in 2023? Yeah, so at the macro level, there isn't that much that uh, workers, that uh, businesses can do. It's more of a question of getting more immigrants uh, into the US, uh, high-skilled immigrants especially. It's more about uh, you know, changing perhaps some laws and, and regulations to encourage more people to uh, go to, to start working again. Um, I think at the, at the company level, there is no one uh, solution. I think it's a, it's a kind of range of uh, strategies uh, starting in the recruitment process, like uh, 
you know, in a period of uh, high turnover and a lot of options for workers to make uh, quick uh, hiring decisions, fewer interviews, um, you know, starting a referral program, uh, using uh, staffing companies, uh, changing, uh, changing the credentials or the requirements for a job, both in terms of education and in terms of experience. Um, so th there are a lot of, uh, when I actually was in my previous job, we wrote a report and we kind of offered 58 uh, types of strategies. And, uh, and in that report, it, uh, maybe you can share uh, later, uh, you could see what companies are using more or less. I, I can tell you one of the surprising things, one of the things that we uh, suggested there is a uh, retaining older workers and that was the strategy strategy least used by uh, by employers that's not something they strongly believe in and gad as a millennial i can tell you my experience being in school was there was such a push for literally everyone to go to college like oh you don't know what you want to do go to college and you'll figure it out and you come out with a hundred thousand dollars in debt many times and still not knowing what you want to do in terms of work do you, do you think potentially part of this is more organizations, companies partnering with schools, developing trade programs, apprenticeship programs, and things like that, uh, again, and trying to revitalize that aspect of, of education and the, the, the more youthful end of the labor spectrum? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely uh, something uh, that is needed. Uh, I would say in our education system, the vocational education is not the strongest part and it was one of the hardest hit parts of uh, during the pandemic um, so I, I think in, in, in that segment of the labor market the more companies can do the better and you mentioned also on the other end of the spectrum with older workers you know we should probably be doing a better job of recruiting and retaining them as well and it's fascinating you shared that because um, we mentioned at the outset, Stephen Kotler, who's the executive director of the Flow Research Academy, was sharing with us a lot of research on a lot of the skills that are needed, soft skills in particular, in organizations to be successful. He gave three examples, empathy, wisdom, and creativity. Those don't peak from a neurological perspective until folks are in their 50s and 60s. So what should we be doing to try and make sure that we're trying to, to, to create work environments that are conducive to being able to keep some of those, those workers um, around where they're seeing it beneficial um, instead of just seeing the early door to retirement? I, I think it's a big obstacle. I think uh, in many people's minds, uh, kind of their, their prior is that uh, um, they should not hire older uh, workers. Uh, in many, uh, in most cases, uh, it's not justifiable. So I, I think it's a lot of it is a mind shift to to make it uh, people believe that it is a viable option. So there's a lot of convincing to do there. One of the examples that was given in the uh, report in the uh, uh, in, in the recent report that you had about skills. Um, there was really an excellent example because I think when people talk about web development or, or about uh, technical skills, I still hear this. They talk about uh, developing websites, you know, web developers. 
And yet that pretty much has been automated. You, you can easily do that. You don't really need any technical skills. You don't need any coding. Uh, very easy to put up a website. But the skill sets that, were, that, that web developers have also are the basic skills that a, uh, a data analyst requires. So how, again, um, how can we, uh, other than telling people that, I mean, and getting that message out and, and looking at the graphs and, and, and seeing that there's a direct line that here's a pool of people. And then the other thing is just as an aside, what that also solves is another issue that we're dealing with, which is DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we're, we're, we're saying, how can we take a lot of these jobs that are lower wage, they were high demand, lower wage, lower skill, um, that also were oftentimes filled by people, minorities, uh, and be able to upskill them where they can, they can be not just giving them more dollars, not, not giving them $15 instead of eight for the same job, but they have the potential to earn more. They have the potential to go in a, in a high demand job, not a lower demand job, uh, and improve their lot and also basically help um, create a more diverse, inclusive, equitable environment. Uh, so th there's a lot there to, to unpack, but it seems like there's an easy solution to be able to do it. but nothing seems to happen well i think more is beginning to happen both in from the perspective of companies and also education and course providers because there is like the example that you you gave uh, web developers uh, with some training they could become software developers which is a very much in demand uh, job so how do you get a web developer to become a software developer what are the courses or skills that they need to to acquire. So I, I think there is definitely, you know, in in our uh, in the Burning Glass Institute, we are um, talking both with companies and with education providers about this gap analysis. We, which occupations are similar enough to in-demand occupations that, with a somewhat some training uh, and learning, they could uh, fill this gap and, and move to higher positions. So I'm, I'm a, a more optimistic uh, on that uh, front. It, it seems like one of the solutions, and you, you briefly mentioned this earlier, and I wrote about it in my book six years ago, which was about credentialing, that credentialing needs changes. Because to, to move from uh, a web developer in the software, or even having a, a you know a high school student or a recent grad uh, who happens to to know coding, you know, to be able to have that skill. Um, but if they don't have that degree, if they have certificates of completion from Coursera uh, or Udemy or some online service, they may be as skilled or more skilled than than people that um, you know have have you know have, have a degree. I guess the question is: Is what what changes, or are you seeing changes in how companies credential? Well, so that's an interesting and, and interesting story because, on the one hand, a lot of companies are saying, "Yeah, uh, we don't uh, require, or we're no longer requiring a BA. It's not necessary." Uh, they drop the BA requirement from job ads, but then when you look at the composition of um, education in different jobs over time in the US, in almost every occupation, 
you see the opposite trend of a higher share of people with a BA in, in those jobs. So it's not clear if, you know, they say one thing and do the other thing, or there is a, a kind of, or their intentions are good, but there are other trends in the macroeconomy at the same time. Because what we also know is there's been a, in the in, in recent decades, a big increase in the share of people who get a BA. So in some way, there is a relatively abundance um, over the last decade uh, of uh, people with BA, or, or I would say it another way, the shortage of in jobs that don't require BA is much larger than the shortage in jobs that do require BA. So, you know, if companies have enough people with a BA, then they are not as desperate to recruit people without a BA. I think that's also what's going on. Yeah, and I think when you say that, I think in the past, and you know, I, I've probably been around longer than than either of you, and so and many of the list, listeners in the past, when you would say that that there are many jobs, uh, or there may be more jobs uh, that don't require a degree uh, than do, that also meant that that was going to be a lower wage. Mm -hmm. That sure, you don't need a degree, and there's a we need a lot of people in those jobs, but you're sort of stuck. That's your career. Where are you going to go? What's your growth? But the evidence seems to be out there now that that's not the case. There's a lot of there's a lot of roles, a lot of jobs, a lot of occupations um, that you can earn six figures um, at that, at, but not require e even a two year degree right. uh, to be able to do that. Yeah, the, the, in in recent years, the wage growth in kind of blue collar and manual service jobs was much, much higher than for professionals uh, with a BA. Uh, it's been a, quite a remarkable uh, trend. So, you know, on the on the margins, like for people who kind of, you know, there are a lot of people who know that they go to college and there are a lot of people who know that they are not going to college, but there is a few millions in the middle who really uh, kind of are on the on the fence. And when you see faster wage growth for, for jobs that don't require BA, more people would choose not to do that. I think this is an important message and I don't want it to get lost and then we're going to take a quick break. And I just want to let it, everyone know if you have any questions, if you are listening and, and have a question for Gad, please uh, put it into the chat uh, on whatever platform you're listening and uh, we'll try to get to that. Uh, but we're going to be taking a real quick break. But what I wanted to say before we leave is important to realize that when we're talking about that, you may not need formal education. That doesn't mean that you don't need to keep learning. Part of this is that it, it in the past, it used to be that if you had a four-year degree or, or you had a master's degree or a professional degree, that was it. And you can, you can live the, for 30 or 40 years in that same role with just taking a few CEUs every now and then. Um, as we've talked about before, with, with uh, even the last five years, with one third of, of jobs requiring new skills or one third of individuals having new skills, continuous learning is going to be really important so that, you know, it might not be that we don't need four-year degree, we, whatever that four-year degree, we might not need a college education, uh, but we're going to have to change uh, the, I guess, the role of education and the placement of education in all our lives. So we're going to take a real quick break. We've been listening to Gad Levinan, a chief economist at Burning Glass Institute. We will be right back. Stay tuned. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not-so-distant future, 
but for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never-normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. There's a certain kind of coach who believes what we believe, who leads people to greatness, who gets people unstuck, who unlocks all of your passion. A coach who helps people discover what drives them to tap into their superpowers. That knowing your why is the first step to untap potential, to focus, to breakthroughs. A coach who's looking for a better way. Are you that coach? Hey, welcome back everyone to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. We've got Gad Levinen, Chief Economist at the Burning Glass Institute, as our guest today. And we're talking about the labor markets, job markets, uh, the economy, um, hiring, uh, skill shortages, all sort of uh, things. So there, there's two, there's there's so much we can talk about, Gad, but there's, there's one, I guess, another elephant in the room uh, that's been out there uh, about wages. So we, we've had over the pandemic as a, in a response maybe to the labor shortages uh, and maybe just continuous pressure, um, the the argument about minimum wage seems to have almost gone away because most companies just to compete have now gone to increasing their wages, which also which then fed into the argument that uh, w it was the cause of runaway inflation, uh, which is why the Fed was responding. Um, but with with the labor shortage as it is, or, or at least in the near future, um, what's your you know, what's going on with wage growth? I mean, it's slowed a bit in, in the most recent numbers that we had. Um, do you see it slowing down? Do you see it continuing to drive? Where, where What role will wage growth play uh, in, in you know, hiring labor markets and the economy? Yeah. Well, th there may have been uh, some moderation, but uh, wage growth is still well above normal and with the uh, labor market tightness uh, remaining, the, the labor market remaining very tight, I don't see uh, wages, uh, wage growth moderating uh, much more. I think they'll stay uh, well above normal until the economy uh, weakens uh, significantly. And it is, uh, you know, a, a lot of the initial wage growth was in new hires. 
But what we are seeing in the last year is that also companies are giving much bigger raises than they used to before the pandemic. Now, the raises are not enough to compensate for inflation, but they are much higher than, than they used to be. So I, I see still above normal wage growth in, in 2023. Now, uh, the thing is, uh, from in, in terms of the impact on the economy, the Federal Reserve, I think, uh, correctly identifies the labor market as the key to their decisions. Uh, they can't uh, imagine that inflation, they can control inflation when wages are growing so fast. So as long as, as the labor market is tight and wage growth is strong, they will continue to uh, raise interest rates. And unfortunately, as, as I said earlier, I think they will raise it so much that uh, in 2023, we will uh, enter a recession. I had a question and I, I wanted to ask this in the beginning and then got distracted and we went off a couple of other things. For years, labor market, we, because we talk about labor market and job markets, and, we, and, we, and those were almost used synonymously because they were in parallel. You know, the economy went up, uh, the demand for labor went up, um, and we had more jobs and, and the reverse. They seem to be out of sync now. Are, are the labor, when, should we stop using labor market and job market synonymously? Well, it's, it's a matter of definition. I, I guess, uh, you know, maybe labor talks more about the side of the workers, maybe the supply of labor, whereas job is from the perspective of employers, so the demand from, for labor. I think it's clearer when you use uh, supply and demand than maybe labor market and job market. So maybe that's yeah. the way to look at it, yeah. Yeah, and that's maybe what I was going to. And, I, and I've had other people say, no, 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 they're the same thing and, and don't confuse people. But to, to me, they're, they're really branching out. They're really diverging. Yeah, that's the, the immovable object and the unstoppable force. Yeah. <laughs> and on, this, on the supply side, Gad, um, I, I'm, I'm still hearing some things and I want your opinion on this and what the data is telling us. I still hear from some leaders that on the supply side, they think the reason that we're in a tight labor market is because a lot of people don't want to work. Um, that's their primary reason. It's more complicated than that, isn't it? I mean, you have some research on long COVID is playing an impact on this. Um, the, the, the mortality rate due to increased substance abuse is having an impact on this. Can you help peel back some of the layers to help us dispel the myth that it's not just that people don't want to work, but we really do have a labor shortage issue? I think that the, the will of the people here, I don't think that that changed dramatically over time, uh, the love of working. It's uh, it's um, other factors. So I think the most important is the fact that so many baby boomers are retiring, that uh, it's just, you know, if you don't have a lot of people in the working age, or if it's not growing, then then the, that puts a limit on, on labor supply. But I think uh, in addition to that, there are a lot of like bad things happening to uh, the young generation, especially young men without a, a BA. Um, we see their labor force participation rate declining over the years. We see um, a very significant increase in uh, uh, mental health issues for the young generation. Like the, uh, 
the share of people in the age of 18 to 29 who report weekly symptoms of depression doubled over a decade, doubled. And, uh, and as you mentioned, the uh, overdose deaths, and, and for each person who dies from, from an overdose, there are probably many that are didn't die, but are uh, in some addiction situation that prevents them from holding a job. So, um, you know, we also see uh, more and more uh, young people who stay with their parents. Uh, and, you know, and if you don't have a family and you don't need to uh, pay the bills, then you're less uh, uh, inclined to, to work. Uh, so I think all of those factors are lowering uh, labor supply and, and in addition to a lot of other problems as well. We, we had a great question from uh, one of our listeners, uh, and thank you, Ed, for, for submitting it. And this fits into what you were just talking about, Gad, so I think you might have sort of answered it, and, and then the report um, that, that you have also. Uh, with two years of evidence showing negative student outcomes from COVID disruptions, uh, what impact is this uh, going to have on learning, this learning deficit uh, going to have in the labor markets in the next five years? But that's a great question and it's a topic of research that we started taking. Uh, so yeah, we, we are seeing uh, during COVID there was lower attendance, all this remote uh, learning uh, was useful to some degree, but it certainly did not, uh, it was not perfect. We see fewer people uh, completing um, high school, we see fewer people enrolling in, in, in college. Um, so and I, I think there, that's a, a big um, a big trend. Uh, fewer people will get post-secondary skills and, and degrees, um, and um, so, so I think overall, the, you know, if you look at new labor market entrants uh, now versus pre-pandemic, there has been a deterioration uh, in the quality of uh, workers. Uh, I think it would be crucial to stop that trend. So, you know, we are seeing now in the labor market, people who were during the pandemic were in 10th grade and 11th grade, they didn't have time to recover from the, the damage to their education. But I think it's crucial that, you know, the people who are in eighth grade, seventh grade during the pandemic, that somehow during the high school, they are able to catch up. Uh, in many cases, I think it will not be the case, and that is a tragedy that someone that, you know, got out of uh, of, of uh, middle school and they never make a, made a comeback, and they will, uh, I, I, and unfortunately there will be a few of those, but the more we can deal with that, I think it's better for their future. Uh, the, the more you talk, uh, Gad, and, you know, especially since this is sort of, this is my passion as well, this is like whack-a-mole. Is every time you bring one thing up, I think of like three other scenarios of of what needs to be fixed or why that might not work in uh, in all these changes. So we're, we're you know, I'm still going to go back to, for those who are watching, can see, you know, right above my head, never normal. Uh, and, uh, you know, that will continue. Uh, and but we were uh, again uh, at, at almost at the end. Uh, we got a couple things uh, to do to to wrap up. Um, we always want to ask you. Uh, we always ask one last question to our guest, and that is: Is there something that we should have asked you that we didn't? Well, I 
I think, and also since we are at the end, uh, I'll, I'll kind of uh, become a little more positive because I, I know I probably worsened the, the mental health uh, problems in the country <laughs> just for the people who listen to me. Uh, but uh, one very good and potentially huge trend that is helping the US is the overall shift of the global economy towards tech because the US is especially good in tech. It's like when oil prices are rising, it's good for Texas because they are producing oil. The same is when the world is becoming more tech focused, it's good for the US, good for Silicon Valley especially, but in, for the US in general, because we, are, we have a comparative advantage in that. And that already in recent years, I think significantly supported the US economy and we'll continue to do so in the in the coming decades. So I, I think that's something, you know, there's a lot of tendency to focus on the negative things, the bad news sell, but <laughs> this is also a very important trend. Which fits in very, very well with the report that you, you guys did, uh, Burning Glass Institute, which you collaborated with uh, Business Higher Education Forum and Wiley, uh, How Skills Are Disrupting Work. So looking at that, uh, I think that's a, a, a great lead into that. And you can get that at burningglassinstitute.org. Uh, how can people get in touch with you, Gad? I'm happy if you share my email. Uh, I'm happy to. Okay. Get we'll, we'll put that in the notes. We can put that in the, in the show notes as well. Yeah. And if they see me on the street, they can say hi. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I highly recommend uh, they connect with you on LinkedIn. Yeah. You're, you're incredibly active. Um, you're one of my big distractions every day. It's like, I think I'm going to stay focused. And then some you post something and it takes me off in another direction. Uh, but we, we are literally just at the, I, I won't even say we're in the first chapter of this. We're probably on the first page of what's going to come. So we, we do want to have you back. But I know um, we, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So I know Jason has a few additional questions before we go off the air here. Yeah, real quick, Gad, just a few questions to get to uh, get, get to know you better and help our listeners get to know you a little bit better too. We've talked so much about skills or maybe even hidden talents today. I've got to start with this one. What is a, maybe a, a hidden skill or talent that most people maybe wouldn't guess about you? Um well, I've been told that uh, uh, that uh, I have good sense of humor in presentations. So I, I, I think I made a few jokes here, but uh, <laughs> I, I certainly uh, that's something that people told me in the past. Uh, it's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. How about uh, a, a superpower? If you could choose any type of superpower or mutant ability of some kind, like on the X-Men, what would it be? You know, as I uh, kind of uh, get older and I kind of feel my memory is not what it used to be. So maybe a, a superpower that you never forget anything and you remember everything you saw in your uh, uh, experience in your entire life. That's a, a unique, uh, I don't know how useful it is, uh, uh, but uh, I uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think my <laughs> wife would vote for that one for me to have also. Um, especially when she gives me a list of two things at the grocery to go pick up. And the moment I step foot inside, the only thing going through my head is like the Super Mario thing. I can't even remember the two things she told me. So I'm with you on that one. And then how about this one? Um, how about a favorite song or a favorite band? What, what do you listen to that gets you in the flow when you're doing all of your 
your economy research? Well, my probably my favorite band is a little boring, at least for like, you know people in my age, like the and, and maybe more so even in Ira's age, the, the Beatles. But uh, my second favorite uh, band, which is less, uh, it's still very known, but uh, a little less popular, uh, Dire Straits. I uh, am a big fan of uh, Dire Straits. Love that. Gad, we can't thank you so much for being with us today on the show and sharing so many insights and wisdom and positivity, too, on what we have in store for 2023. Again, Gad Levin and Chief Economist with Burning Glass Institute. To learn more about their work and the reports and research that they're doing, go to burningglassinstitute.org. And then um, if you search for Gad Levin on LinkedIn, I'm going to take a guess here, but I'm guessing you may be the only one or maybe just one of a handful of Gad Levinen's on LinkedIn. That'd be another great way to connect with him. Thank you very much for having me. It was a real pleasure as always. And, and Gad, you made the reference to the Beatles, which is not my favorite band, by the way, but I, <laughs> but it just brought up a funny story of how this how this relates. I, when I had my, my practice, and that was probably in like 1990, 91, so we're going back 30 years, uh, we were talking about the Beatles. And one of my... Uh, one of the staff then, she was like 18 or 19 years old. She said, yeah, my parents talk about them. I remember them. And they couldn't name any of the Beatles. It was, you know, it's like, well, do you ever hear Paul McCartney? And go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he a member of the Beatles? So, <laughs> so yeah, great, yeah. crazy stuff that goes through our minds. But thank you very much, Gad. Uh, we definitely are going to have you back, uh, hopefully more frequently than once a year. Uh, to keep us up and, and keep us uh, keep us smarter, you know, for sure. Thank you. Wow. And, and Ira, we barely had time to scratch the surface on a lot of the comments and questions that came in today, too. So a lot of interaction, a lot of interest in the things that Gad was sharing with us today. Uh, as, as I said, we not only, well, I, I said I was initially thinking we're just in the first chapter, but we might just be on the first page uh, of what's going to involve. And we've got a, a great opportunity tomorrow as well when we have Odeon Capital Conversations, Dick Beauvais, Matt Van Alstine, Dick's been doing this for 50 some years. And uh, we're gonna have a, a real good opportunity to look at the Wall Street side, the, the really the business side, rather than more on the labor and um, the jobs and, and the hiring side. You know, just love listening to Gad. I think that was one of the comments too, from one of our listeners. I, you know, I'm not sure that Gad shared anything that I didn't know other than just confirm that we're, we're living in a never normal uh, and things are going to continually change. And, uh, you know, for each solution, there's probably three different arguments or three different additional discussions. Every single person that we talk to and every person that, that we listen to uh, says that we need a better, more effective immigration policy. The chances of that happening in the next two years is pretty close to zero. So we have to look at some of these other solutions as, you know, for skill development. Uh, uh, we had a nice comment about workforce investment or workforce development, workforce development boards. Uh, that's certainly, uh, they've been around a long time and, and, and I know a lot of people have pushed them off and they, they've, some could be more effective. Some have been very effective, but hopefully they're going to take a role. Disruptions in education, change disruptions in way that people hire, disruptions in how we credential, um, so many topics. Absolutely. For me, the big takeaway as he was talking today was thinking about either end of the talent pool when it comes to age. 
Um, let's stop giving the boomers reasons to head out the door faster. Um, if you're a leader thinking about everything you can do to be conducive to creating a flexible working environment where maybe you can keep them on part-time um, if it's work that they they get purpose and uh, fulfillment and meaning from. But that, you know, we want to have more and more of those people to have those types of skills and empathy and wisdom and creativity as part of the workforce instead of, uh, you know, just saying completely cutting it off and retiring. But then on the other end, too, when he was talking about we need revitalization in schools, too, of making sure that we are closing that gap for the kids who who missed out on some learning in school because of COVID, but also making sure that we aren't just pushing everyone into college, that there's credentialing a lot of other creative ways to get the skills that they need for jobs that are very well paying that have tremendous meaning and fulfillment but let's figure out ways to get those type of pathways in place earlier um, in schools and to create those healthy collaborations between those organizations and schools to be preparing the next generation of, of folks that are going to be in the labor market and so with uh, with all that, um, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. Until next time, uh, we hope that you will um, like or subscribe um, to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And also check out our new website, geekskeezersgoogleization.com. Among the many exciting things we have going on, we launched a new website this year with a fresh look. And we'd also appreciate it um, if you join Googleization Nation, our growing community where there's going to be lots of resources and special opportunities that are exclusive for members there this year in 2023 as well. So until next time, I'm Jason Cochran. And I'm Ivor Wolf. And special thanks to Y Institute for partnering with us and sponsoring this episode. Uh, thanks, as Jason said, to being part of Googleization Nation. And when you do go up to the website uh, within the next uh, few days, uh, we'll be launching our blog. So if you want to read about the podcast, if you want to check out what some of the highlights were uh, without listening to the whole thing, you can certainly do that. We encourage you to, to, to listen uh, to the full episodes or join us live every Wednesday at one o'clock. Uh, but other than that, uh, you, you can basically go up and get a summary. Uh, until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs>